Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Well, good afternoon, and thanks for joining our webinar today. I'm Jessica Groskoff, a Nebraska Extension Educator and Regional Economist for the Panhandle area. This is a part of our Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team's weekly webinar series. Find a complete schedule of current, find a complete schedule and past recordings at farm.unl.edu. We'd like to point out that the Nebraska Rural Response Hotline remains a great resource for ag professionals across the state, providing mental health counseling, information regarding legal assistance, financial clinics, mediation, and more. The hotline's toll-free number is 1-800-464-0258. We also have a wealth of resources related to stress and wellness at ruralwellness.unl.edu. Today's webinar is a refresher for those of you who are new to or wishing to brush up on ag exemptions for state sales tax. Our guest is Austin Durfelt. He will cover regulations set forth in the 2014 legislation, many providing perspectives from the side of both the consumer, farmer, rancher. Agricultural exemptions, auctions, and occasional sales will be covered. Please help me in welcoming Southeast Regional Extension Economist, Austin Durfelt. Thanks for joining us, Austin. Thanks, Jessica. Hope everybody's doing all right today. So I'm going to take a stab at covering how Nebraska sales tax works for the agricultural industry here. Um, this isn't a whole lot of new information. It's more of a refresher course. Um, I still get quite a few calls with some confusion dealing with the 2014 LB96. Um, and the best that I can do to describe what this conversation is probably going to boil down to is it's going to boil down to an it depends conversation. Uh, many part of the ag parts of the agricultural sales tax in Nebraska is a situational issue. During our conversation, um, I will try and post some web links into the chat box of relevant, relevant websites discussing the topic that um, is currently being discussed. Those web links and also any questions that we don't get addressed during the webinar will be available on the farm.unl.edu website with the recording after the presentation. So to begin the conversation, probably the best thing that I've found is to try and tackle this as a step-by-step -step or a layered approach. And the first thing that you're going to find in the chat is a link to the Nebraska Chapter 1 Sales and Use Tax Regulation. Um, when we're talking about the agriculture exemption, there's kind of two different things that you need to look at. And the first one is and what I'm going to call layer one or your first hurdle is to look to see and make sure that you match the definition of what commercial agriculture is. And the way that the, the statute reads and the way the Nebraska Department of Revenue 
handles it is the definition is must be producing food product or raising or caring for animals that can be sold or used by farmers and ranchers to produce other products for sale. As, as you hear that definition, you're probably already running through your head and you're thinking, well, row crops easily check the bill. So does beef and poultry con or confinement operations. Um, some of the ones that might be a little bit more obscure from, from immediate attention, feedlots, greenhouses, nurseries, sod farms and treat farms are all included in that definition of what commercial agriculture is in Nebraska. Once you kind of meet that definition and, and you're fairly certain that yes, I am commercial agriculture, then you can kind of start getting into that product by product conversation of does this item need to be charged sales tax or is this a sales tax exempt item? Um, there's two different definitions that Nebraska Department of Revenue gives through the statutes, one deals with crops, the other ones with livestock. For the crop definition, what it reads is it must be used directly for food crop production to till the soil, plant seeds, harvest the crop, or apply water, fertilizer, or other agriculture chemicals to the land or crop to preserve a crop in the field. And so the, the key word that I want to point out, and it'll pop up again when we start talking about livestock, is they, they use the word directly. And that word directly is going to be key when we start getting into this conversation of what applies and what doesn't apply for sales tax exemption. For the livestock group, their definition is extremely similar. They just changed some of the wording to, to identify with what the production typically requires for doing livestock. And it needs to be used directly for livestock production to supply, measure, or apply water feed warmth, cooling, comfort, veterinary products, or other beneficial chemicals to food producing or pelt producing animals. It can aid in birthing or hatching of animals, or it removes waste from the animal's pens. And so if you've got those two hurdles down, you've gone through and you understand what the first definition is of commercial agriculture, you understand what the definition is for a direct use item, you can start boiling things down into three different hats. And the first hat is things that are exempt. The second one is non-exempt. And then what I consider is probably the more dreaded conversation is the things that it depends. And so what I'm going to pop into the chat box right now is a link to the Nebraska Department of Revenue's website where they have informational guide 6-368. This is something that I would highly recommend that either A, you bookmark this on the, the work computer that you keep your books on for your farm operation, or B, you print this out and regularly go back maybe semi-annually to see if there's any updates and keep this in a file drawer at your desk because this is probably going to be your, your go-to guide on how do I fill out Form 13, what are the definitions and the rulings, and what we're going to talk about right now is the Department of Revenue has actually gone through and they've listed a, not comprehensive list, but a list of commonly asked about items as to whether they're exempt or non-exempt and they've got those listed out. And so on this PDF link, what you're gonna find is on seven and eight, the guide provides a, not again, not comprehensive list, but a list of items that can qualify for sales tax exemption. 
And these items include things such as combines, which is a piece of equipment used directly to harvest grain, feed wagons, which are pieces of equipment used directly to feed livestock, rotogators and self-propelled fertilizer units, which are pieces of equipment used to apply chemicals to grain or crops. And then also things like tree spades, which are pieces of equipment used directly to move or harvest trees by nurseries. As, as I was going through that list, the thing that I'm hoping that you're catching up on and the mindset you, that you need to have when you're looking at these type of items is you need to be thinking about how they're used in the operation and how they're tied to that, whether it be commodity or livestock and, and how it's raised. And so going back to that combine, I can, I can tie that piece of equipment directly to going out into the field, getting the corn out of the field and bringing it in so I can sell it. And so I've got a direct use there that meets that definition. On page nine of this guide, which is immediately after this list that we just got done talking about, the Department of Revenue goes through and lists items that are not exempt, or in other words, you will be required to pay sales tax on these items. And these items are things such as ear tags, seed tender trailers, header trailers, and grain bins. Again, it's only a small portion of what the list provides, but when you're sitting there looking through that list and, and you're thinking about some of the things that are not exempt that you're going to have to pay sales tax on, um, sometimes I get some comments or arguments, and my comment is, is based on the definition, explain how a seed tender trailer directly puts the seed into the ground. It's more of a supporting role type of piece of equipment. You're not planting with it. You're just moving grain from one site to another in order to get it into the ground. And the same kind of with the header trailer. I'm not using a header trailer to directly harvest the grain. I'm using the header trailer in order to transport equipment from one farm to the next farm. And so I would highly recommend, again, stay current with this 6-368 informational guide as they do update it from time to time and they'll change things in the list. For instance, I think um, anhydrous tanks are something that they recently addressed in one of the last couple of iterations because that was bringing up some questions as whether that should be exempt or not. The, the last sorting hat that we have to talk about, and this is probably the most frustrating one, and it's probably where most of the questions are probably going to come in through, is this it depends category. And the best thing I can do to describe uh, it depends item is it really depends on what the intended use is and the story given. Um, the probably the one thing that many find frustrating is to my knowledge, there is no percentage of proof tests that you have to meet, which might be a shining light in all of this. And so if I go through and I'm purchasing an item that may or may not be tax exempt and I go through and I start trying to come up with how I'm gonna use this in the operation, as soon as I get to a point where I'm listing something where it's a direct use, I've hit that to where it's good enough for an exemption. And again, that's to my understanding, reading through the legislation, some of the guidance that they give. And so to give an example of how this can go down, I'm going to give you two different stories that I've run into in my past. The first story is one that I actually had to deal with. So before accepting this position with UNL, I was a county treasurer at Richardson County. And during that time, it was 2014 when this bill came and passed 
and we had to implement some of these sales tax rules. And part of the changes was that county treasurer's office was all of a sudden going to be responsible for collecting ATV and UTV sales tax across the state of Nebraska. And so the question that came up in my office and offices across the state was, how do we go about collecting this and understanding what the law is? And so basically it boils down to, again, that story given and what the intended use was. And so if I had two farmers walk into my office the exact same day, went out and bought the identical ATVs and they're, let's just even say they're neighbors. The first farmer walked up to the counter and told me that they went out and bought this ATV. I told him that's a great looking ATV. We'll get that title for you. By the way, what exactly do you intend to use the ATV for? Because I've got to figure out whether or not this is an item that's getting charged sales tax or whether this is an item that needs to go on the personal property tax roll with the county assessor. And so as I started asking him questions, generally conversation would come up where he'd say, well, I'm going to move the grain auger with it and I'm going to do some spring cleaning around the yard. I'm going to check livestock. Based on those type of answers and the guidance given from the Nebraska Department of Revenue, that item should be charged sales tax. And so I would collect sales tax at the county treasurer's office at the time of titling. If the farmer that walked in behind him, that's the neighbor that bought an identical ATV, came in and I asked him the same exact question. And his reply was, well, I bought it with the intention of I was going to put some hay bales in the back of it and go feed some cattle back in the pasture. And then I've got a sprayer unit for it and I'm going to put down some fertilizer in the pasture and try and keep some of the weeds controlled so that I can get the the most bang from a buck out of the pasture and keep it in a good quality state. Based on that answer, he's got direct use to the livestock. That purchase of an ATV is sales tax exempt and should be reported to the county assessor on the personal property tax roll. One additional piece of information that I'm going to throw in there just because I brought up the ATVs is if you are purchasing or handling an ATV, and I'll put that link in the chat right now, you probably need to read up on the Form 6 ATV if this is your very first purchase or you're looking at selling. Um, there is a special form that you need to have to handle that for when you go to talk to the county treasurer. They're going to ask for this at the time of titling. The second story that I'll go ahead and give is this one isn't necessarily one that I had to deal with, but it's one that came up when I was talking to a local dealership. Again, it's, it's a very similar conversation. It's just talking about a different piece of equipment. And so the, the conversation issue was dealing with skid steers. And again, it all boils down to what that intended use was. And so dealership had two farmers walk in. They were wanting to buy identical skid steers. The first farmer said that he was going to move dirt with it and he was going to use it to help around the shop. And so he was going to hook a chain up to it and maybe pick up a, whether it be an engine block or maybe an axle, but he was going to use it for repair type work. In that situation, there was no direct use towards the row crop or livestock. That purchase should be charged sales tax. On the other hand, the neighbor who let's just say he was a rancher walked in again, buying an identical skid steer. 
he said he was going to go and clean his livestock pens with it and he had to buy the a pusher attachment and he was going to get a bale spieler and he was going to use it for feeding the cattle also. Again, he's just demonstrated two direct use conversation pieces that's tied to that equipment. And so in his situation, that skid steer is sales tax exempt. To take this conversation even a little bit further down into the weeds, I'll go ahead and point out that another key difference between exempt and non-exempt is the attachment to land. If you've got an item that's going to be physically attached to the land, technically you're looking at an improvement to real estate and that does not count towards the exemption. Um, one that I commonly run into and we just put up one ourselves, not maybe four or five months ago is grain bins. And, and the difficult part with grain bins is grain bins are not tax exempt, but some pieces of the grain bin are. And so, for instance, when you're writing up a sale ticket and you receive that, you're going to see that the vents installed on the roof of the grain bin are taxed, but equipment specifically designed for drying the grain. So let's say you put a stirrator inside that grain bin that's designed to help dry and condition the grain. And so that stirrator is tax exempt. And so when you get a a bill for installing a new grain bin, you're going to look down through that and there's going to be some items that are exempt and some that aren't. The story of repair and placement parts is a very similar situation to this. It all depends on the story that you're giving or in the intended use. The way the law states that sales of all repair and replacement parts to use for agricultural machinery and equipment that are used directly in commercial agriculture are exempt from sale and use tax. And so a couple of key features, this does include generic equivalent parts. And so you don't have to go out and buy genuine case or genuine John Deere parts in order to get the exemption. And some of the examples that the Department of Revenue has listed are antifreeze and batteries and spark plugs and DEF. But going back to that definition of direct use, what many found is there's a couple of friction areas in there. I know one conversation that I've had in the past when talking over sales tax issues was with WD-40. And really it all depended on how the intended use was. And so I had one dealership say that they were at a meeting and they were talking about WD-40 in specific. If you bought a can of WD-40 and you said that that can WD-40 is going to go on a planter unit and I'm going to use it to lubricate the chains, that's a direct use of a part towards the planter unit that's planting the seed, the dealer said that was going to be sales tax exempt. Whereas if you bought that same can of WD-40 and said you were going to put it in the shop to bust loose some rusted bolts, that one didn't have a direct use. And so that was was getting charged sales tax. And so the question was, well, how do you deal with, you know, most farmers buy WD-40 by the case? How am I going to deal with you know, having 12 cans in a case. Um, the example that the Department of Revenue gives on their informational guide deals with baling wire twine and net wrap. So the baling wire twine and net wrap is not agricultural machinery and equipment. It's just part of that equipment that is utilized by the machine. And so it really depends on what the intended use is for 
those farmers that are looking to bale a product and not sell it and just use it themselves, or for somebody that's buying it to do custom baling work, those are both examples of where that item is going to be taxable. If you are buying, buying that baling wire and putting it in a baler and the subsequent result is you're going to go out and bale some of your own crop and you're going to sell it and ship it down to Texas, that sale is going to be exempt. If you're reselling the crop, that baling wire and twine is going to be exempt at that point. What, what this kind of boils down to for dealers and retailers and individuals is we'll start with the dealers and retailers. The most straightforward solution I can give you is, is based on what the purchaser says and receiving a form 13, go ahead and complete the transaction as sales tax exempt. If they say they are sales tax exempt, um, Many retailers and dealers have associations that are probably going to provide guidance that will dig deeper into this. But in general, if a retailer sold an item sales tax exempt based on the information given by the purchaser and collected a completed form 13, the fault and the penalty is on the purchaser for improperly filing a form 13. And for individuals, basically what that means is if you improperly file a form 13, the penalty is either going to be $100 or 10 times the amount of the tax, whichever is greater. And so if you're already running numbers in your head, if you've got a $30,000 skid steer loader and you're getting five and a half percent sales tax, and then you take that times 10% for improperly filing, you're getting to talking about a pretty big chunk of change. If you're getting something sales tax exempt where you should have paid sales tax. For farmers and ranchers, really the thing that I would recommend is kind of a three-step process. The first thing I would do bar none is again, have this 6-368 informational guide printed out and have it in your office. And the first thing I would do is go down through the list and see if the item that I'm looking to purchase is already directly listed as exempt or non-exempt based on the guidance from the Nebraska Department of Revenue. If I go through that list and they don't have guidance on the particular item that I'm looking at, then you start having to go through and trying to decipher, well, what am I going to use this piece of equipment for and see if you can find an instance where you have direct use definition. If I get done with the second step and I still don't know whether or not I've got something concrete for direct use, what I did when I was county treasurer and what I would still recommend for anybody that's got questions, don't be afraid to go ahead and call the Nebraska Department of Revenue and ask to speak with a sales tax representative. They've dealt with this enough that they know questions to ask in order to figure out whether or not something's going to meet the definition or not. And it beats having a penalty of, you know, four or $5,000 on an item where I should have paid sales tax and I didn't. The next thing that you're going to find in the chat box for a link is a link to form 13. And again, just for a reminder, all these links are going to be provided on the farm.unl.edu website along with this recording. But with this web link on this form 13, 
this is something that if you're just starting out and even if you've been operating for a few years, I still highly recommend partially filling out a form 13 and printing out five or six of these and putting them in your glove box. That way, when you do go to a new dealer or a retailer, or if you're going to an auction, you have the form that you need to provide in order to get that sales tax exemption at that time of purchase. And so that kind of covers the informational guide 6-368 and the guide also covers how to fill out form 13 if you've got questions on that. But that covers the agricultural sales tax portion of it. But there's a few other things that I do want to touch base on. And those we're going to kind of run through here right quick. The first one that we're going to talk about is dealing with services. So with services, again, this is kind of one of those issues where it depends on what the intended use is or what's being purchased for. Um, the link that I've provided sends you to the Department of Revenue's Frequently Asked Questions, which is something that, again, I receive some of these questions from time to time. And for starters, one of the ones that I probably run into the most is when you're hiring a pest control service to come in and do work. And so if I've got a livestock operation and I've got a rat problem and I'm trying to get that under control and handled, depending on exactly what I'm what I'm hiring that pest control service to do and where I'm hiring them to do it, it's going to decipher whether or not this item should be charged sales tax or not. And so if I go out and I hire a firm to come in to do pest control around my grain storage units and my livestock facilities, that service is going to be sales tax free. If the pest application is made on the farm, but not specifically on land used for commercial agriculture, those applications are taxable. And so it can get a bit confusing when you're trying to do a whole farm application, what exactly is and what isn't going to count in terms of that tax-free versus tax status. Another one, and this is more probably on a community level, is for um, car washes, believe it or not. If a non-for-profit group wants to go out and conduct a car wash to try and raise funds for a project that they have deemed necessary or, or what their what their organization strives to accomplish, they can conduct a car wash that is sales tax-free, but in order for it to be sales tax-free, it has to be a free will donation. If they're conducting a car wash where they have a set fee, it costs you $9 to have us wash your vehicle. That is going to require sales tax to be collected. Churches, on the other hand, can conduct a car wash that is sales tax free, even if they have a set fee. And there are some rules that I'm going to touch base on a little bit later when we get down to auctions that explains why. The last kind of one that you run into is school groups raising money for school functions, whether that be a band trying to raise money for a, a trip to Florida, wherever they might be going. Those items are not taxable, even if they set a specific charge. The next section that I'm going to cover that deals with occasional sales and this is one that I think is kind of misunderstood at some points in time when I'm having conversations with people occasional sales 
it's key to remember that this includes equipment used productively and listed as a depreciable capital asset for at least one year if you're talking about a business looking at it. In terms of a personal side of things, you can sell personal effects and household goods and fall into the occasional sale. But that sale needs to occur at a personal residence. It doesn't have to necessarily be my residence. It could be a situation where my aunt is having a garage sale and I just go and put some of my stuff on it, or it needs to be an online auction. Based on the guidance, it can it can occur for no more than three days in a calendar year. And so I could have a spring garage sale and I could have a fall garage sale, but I can't be having a garage sale every other week. The other key thing is those sales are not supposed to be including business property. And so if I'm thinking that I want to go out and have a garage sale, and let's say my significant other sells paper chef or Tupperware or some sort of a um, baking line that you sell through the home, we can't technically be putting some of the the display items or the discounted items that we no longer need for promotions on the sale. Those items should not be part of what I'm listing on a garage sale as an occasional sale because those were business type items. The next section and the next link that I'm going to provide for you is dealing with auctions. The good news with dealing with auctions and talking about that is for the most part, auctions are fairly straightforward. Um, some of the more common types of auctions we're going to run into are estates, farms, religious, and non-for-profits. With most auctions, what you have is a situation where if you have an auctioneer conducting or assisting for under higher or for higher under contract, that sale is going to be taxable. And this even includes items such as gift baskets. But gift bas or gift certificates are actually exempt. And if you think about that one, the gift certificate is going to get charged sales tax at the time the recipient goes in and actually utilizes that gift certificate. But gift baskets are sales taxable if a auctioneer is assisting or conducting that for under higher contract. The exception to the auctioneer role is with religious organizations. And this goes back to that car wash conversation that we were having a little bit ago. Religious groups can hold one sale that is not taxed, even with the assistance of an auctioneer. The key guidelines behind that is the sale must be a regular activity of the group and last no more than three consecutive days. And so going back to that car wash, if the church normally has a car wash to raise funds, whether that be for the children's group or something of that nature, and it doesn't last any longer than three days. That's why that one's classified as sales tax exempt, even if they're charging a fee. In terms of auctions, again, they can have an auctioneer running it, but the items on the auction need to be donated to the church. And so if I'm going to go and I'm going to put items on there, whether that be tools or something else. Technically, I'm donating those to the church and then the church isn't one auctioning those off. I can't just have things listed on the sale that the church is conducting, but I still maintain ownership of it. Vehicles and trailers on auctions are going to be taxed regardless of where it's at. 
but the collection of that is going to be at the time of registration. So you won't pay sales tax on that when you buy from the auctioneer. You're going to pay sales tax on that when you go and talk to your county treasurer. For those going to auctions, make sure, again, you're providing a Form 13 to the auctioneer. Um, generally, that's either at the time of bidder registration or at the time of closing your bidding number. Just talk to the auctioneer team when you arrive to find out how they operate and handle that. One last bit of information, I don't run into this a lot, but if you're at an auction and there is a situation where part of the condition of the sale is delivery out of state, and so let's say that you're along the border and it could be on the north end with South Dakota or on the south end with Kansas, for examples. But if I buy something on an auction and part of the conditions is, is after the sale, they're going to deliver X item to a farm down in Kansas. That sale does not um, apply for sales tax in Nebraska. The next topic that I kind of want to touch on is one that I would probably say most of us can be accused of at some point or another, and this deals with use tax. Use tax is, is nothing more than sales tax paid at a time other than the time of purchase. And so commonly what we ran into back in like 20 2007, 2010 was a lot of people were going online and buying things off of eBay and Amazon or wherever else they might be looking at. And that item should have been charged sales tax, but the online retailer wasn't collecting it. Just because sales tax wasn't collected at the time of purchase, if the item should have been charged sales tax, technically it's up to that purchaser, the individual to remit that tax to the state through use tax. The state has two different ways for individuals to remit use tax to the state. The first option that you have is during your annual federal and state income tax filing, what everybody's doing right now, I would hope, is you can utilize line 41 on the Nebraska individual income tax return form 1040N. And basically, if you're going to use that method what you're doing is throughout the year, let's say I went and made 13 purchases online and all of them amounted to maybe there was a $7 sales tax item here and a $41 sales tax item there. I'm going to lump those 13 or so purchases and, and report those on one filing with the state of Nebraska. The other option that you have, and this is probably a more of a case-by-case -case basis, is you have the option to file a Form 3, Nebraska and Local Individual Use Tax Return. And what that does is, again, basically it's more of if I went out and I bought a skid steer and I should have been charged sales tax and I wasn't, I can go and file this and remit that sales tax and then I won't have to do it later on I can get it done taken care of in a more expedient manner. What this all requires is a lot of time and a little bit of digging in order to do this if you're gonna do it. Um, the state of Nebraska has an example that's very similar to what I'm gonna give you right now. But let's just say that I went out and I purchased online some gifts for my five cousins on my mom's side. And let's say that the online retailer that I 
purchases from did not charge me any sales tax, but they should have. And so I'm technically and legally required to remit that amount to the state. And so how do I go about doing this? Well, I'm going to have to actually calculate out the amount to remit to the state along with attaching some special codes so the state knows what city or county these funds need to be remitted to. And so again, as I mentioned, I've got five cousins here. If two of them live in Fall City, I'm going to have to calculate and remit tax based on Fall City sales tax rates for two of them. On one of them, I'm going to have to figure it on unincorporated Nebraska sales tax rates, or basically they live out in a rural area and they don't have a county or a city sales tax, so they've just got the state sales tax that they have to handle. On the fourth one, they live in Gothenburg, and so I'm going to have to calculate out what the sales tax rate is in Gothenburg and attach the special codes that go along with that city. And then the fifth one lives in Iowa. And again, just like what we were talking about with the auction, in terms of delivering out of state, that sales tax exempt, where that item is being shipped to Iowa, that purchase is going to be sales tax exempt for Nebraska. I won't have to remit any sales tax for the cousin that I ship something to in Iowa. Um, the Nebraska Department of Revenue's website that I linked has a PDF that lists the sales tax rates for different towns along with the codes needed to complete the Form 1040N or the Form 3. Um, if you are using a 1040N and you expect your tax preparer to handle it for you, you're probably going to, at bare minimum, need to provide the amounts and the cities that are tied to those transactions. The last bit of information that I'm going to provide, maybe this will be a little bit more uplifting than the other things that I've been talking about, is I've got two links in this one. The first one is for agricultural specific. The other one is for general. But these two links are for how you claim refunds. And this is typically something that I see when maybe I went out of town and I went and purchased a bunch of building supplies and had them delivered to my, my property in rural Fall City. And they charged me the local city tax rate instead of charging me my place's tax rate because based on um, Nebraska law is point of delivery. And so they should have been charging my unincorporated rate. They charged me the city rate. And so we've got a discrepancy there and I would charge too much sales tax. Rather than creating a scene and, and having an unnecessary argument with a cashier or a retailer, that may or may not have the power to correct it or fix it. As long as I go and I collect a detailed receipt and other documentation about the transaction, the fact that it was being shipped to my location and the address, if the amount is $2 or more, I can have that amount refunded to me. Um, in case you missed it, I went ahead and popped it back in the chat. The agricultural exemption link is there in the chat for now. I mean, again, I'll have all these links on the farm.unl website when we post the recording of this webinar. So that kind of covers the surface layer of sales and use tax in Nebraska. 
Um, there are resources available online. The last time that I, I had a discussion with a representative from the Nebraska Department of Revenue, um, they aren't necessarily looking to do in-person trainings anymore. They're working towards building a, a more robust educational tool on their website. And so I would highly recommend, again, just like I mentioned, having that 368 informational guide bookmarked or printed out, having just the general Nebraska Department of Revenue website may be something that's beneficial if you deal with a lot of sales tax issue items. Um, with that, we've got about, what are we at, like 20 minutes or so that I am open for questions that we can discuss and talk about different items and maybe walk through some things if somebody's got something in particular they want to talk about. So again, if you have questions for Austin, uh, we're going to hang on here for a minute. We've got 15 to 20 minutes. Um, you can go ahead and drop those questions in the chat box or in the Q&A. So again, if you have questions, please include them in the chat box or in the question and answer feature, both which can be found at the bottom of your screen. And just as a reminder, this recording will be placed online at farm.unl.edu backslash webinars. At that website, you can see all of our past recordings, as well as a schedule of future webinars. And we do them every Thursday at noon central time. So again, if you, if you have questions, please go ahead and include them in the chat box. All right, I'm not seeing any questions come through the chat box. So Austin, we wanna thank you for your knowledge and your time for sharing with us and reminding us about this very important topic. Again, this webinar is being recorded and will be placed online at farm.unl.edu. And uh, we do actually have one that came in. So Austin in the chat says, if a producer purchases a whole bunch of different things, some exempt, some not, um, is it up to the retailer to know which ones are exempt and charge accordingly? So my comments on that is in general, what you're going to find is, and it probably depends on the scale of what the retailer is, but most retailers will have built into their system, whether or not something is exempt. And so again, in general, even if I go and I purchase um, a handful of things, I would say the retailer is probably 80% going to have that correctly marked as long as they know that you're purchasing it for an exempt item and have a form 13. If they do perhaps miss something and that happens, I mean, I've probably filed maybe five or six different um, refund claims and, and I'm not that old yet. If, if you do have something where you go through and you have paid sales tax and they just flat out missed it, that's where that refund form comes in and you can supply that receipt and whatever other information is required in order to get the correct sales tax amount. We can, um, you can go ahead and get that refund. It does take a little bit of time. It's not something that I would say if you send in a refund form, you're going to see that money in a week. Um, it'll have to be reviewed and then, go through the 
payment process through the state of Nebraska. So it might take you up to three to three weeks to a month in order to see that money come back, but they will get through it. And if there are issues, generally you can um, talk to a representative or, or resubmit the claim based on whatever information they found lacking. So Ginger Wilson does have her hand up and Ginger, you're now able to talk if you wanna go ahead and ask your question live. I'm sorry, I don't know why my hand is raised, but I don't have a question. <laughs> I just appreciate listening, sorry. Not a problem, thank you very much. All right, there is another question in the chat box and it says, how do we register our truck as farm? Okay, so this, this takes me back to the good old county treasurer days. Um, registering something as a farm truck is, is fairly simple. In in my county, you basically just had to inform us that that's what you were doing. We, we didn't necessarily argue. And again, it, it kind of falls down to that conversation of when I mentioned earlier, if you improperly file a Form 13 with a um, retailer, it wasn't the retailer's job to enforce whether or not you should have re received that exemption. It, it's kind of the same way with registering a truck. If you tell the county treasurer that this truck is going to be registered as a farm truck because I'm using it on the farm to do livestock and other things, they should go ahead and process that. The comment that I would make is, um, and maybe I'll go ahead and include that in the, the links for the recorded webinar because I don't have the link right in front of me, but the, the definition of farm use is something that I would highly recommend. There were some issues that I had in Richardson County back when I was treasurer of individuals registering things as farm use. And then let's say I register a truck as farm use and I was driving it back and forth to my nine to five job in town. Technically that's going to disallow that as being registered as farm. Um, when I talked to Jessica's got it there into the chat but when when i generally talk to the individuals about why they want to register at farm and your your reasoning might be different but generally what they were doing is they were trying to build a case to apply that vehicle's cost to the schedule f and and my comment is that's that's a i don't want to say inappropriate but that's an unnecessary process in order to take something on a schedule f i can have a um, personal vehicle car, I could go out and buy a Hyundai Elantra and have that expensed on my farm account if I'm using that vehicle to drive back and forth to, to Savannah, Missouri to get parts for a planter that I have. Um, just, just having it licensed as a specific type doesn't necessarily mean that it is deductible on a Schedule F. There, there's more to it than that. You don't have to necessarily license it as such to get there. All right, our next question comes from the Q&A. And just as a reminder, we do still have some time. So if you have questions, please put them either in the chat box or in the Q&A feature. And the question is, if I haul scrap metal from a farmstead cleanup to a metal recycling facility and get paid for it, am I required to pay sales tax? I would probably tell you that that would be one that I would end up needing to call the Department of Revenue on. My my initial thought would be 
my initial thoughts probably going to be yes, just because I'm not sure where you're going to provide the direct use from. Um, that that's probably going to be the key feature that Department of Revenue starts digging on to try and figure out. And going back to that pesticide, um, pesticide applicator one, you know, if I'm trying to kill rats that are in a, a feed bunk, I I can directly show where that's tied to the commercial agricultural production of that livestock picking up and hauling scrap metal. I, I struggle to see where you're going to find that direct use connection from most, most of the scrap metal that I run into and that I see is generally outside of the farm shop in, in a pile, not necessarily tied to a piece of ground that's actually being used for production. And so again, I, I can provide a, a phone number to the Nebraska Department of Revenue on on the links at farm.unl.edu afterwards, but that would be one where I would go ahead and and call and talk to them about. Um, can you give us a full list of regulations associated with farm exemptions? I've only found two. Um, yes, if, again, that first link that I put in there, that chapter one, is technically the full listing of sales tax laws. If you scroll down through the list, they will actually get to the sales tax portion of um, agricultural exemptions, but I can definitely go ahead and get get that and make sure that's on the list of things for the farm.unl list of websites to take a look at afterwards. I'm not seeing any other questions in the chat. So this is a last call for questions. While they're maybe thinking about those, Austin, uh, any final thoughts from you? Um, it's, you know, it, it's one of those things that really depends and you just kind of got to take a, approach it with the mindset that I'm going to go through and be constructive about it. Um, there's, I know I've run into some individuals before where, they just start trying to make up processes in order to find a direct use correlation. And if you ever get audited, I would tell you that that's probably going to be a problematic approach to take to this. And so when you're running through this, if you've got a gray, gray area item that you're trying to, to find whether or not this should be sales tax or sales tax exempt, you know, make a list of the processes that, you literally will be using this item for and then try and see if there's a direct correlation based on that. All right, uh, one came in on our last call and it was, can you send a list of all the exemptions on purchases? The, the list of all the exemptions on purchases are you, and hopefully you're still on, are you wanting equipment-wise or are you wanting more service-wise? Which, which list are you looking for? And maybe it's just both. We could just do both. The, the service-wise, my comment would be there's not necessarily a defined list. The, the list for exempt items for... Um, Agricultural-wise, that is part of that 6S36H PDF, and I can go ahead and, because I've got that pulled up right now, I can go ahead and repost that, but that's on page 7 and 8. What you're going to find is, and it's a, I would say it's a fairly comprehensive list, 
because it gets into again, I brought up um anhydrous applicator, not anhydrous applicators, but anhydrous trailers. A lot of guys right now are starting to pull those. That was a big issue when I was county treasurer as to whether or not those technically to be licensed. That is actually listed now as a um, exempt item along with crop dusting planes. Um, some of the miscellaneous items like GPS units, those are exempt. Only the portion that attaches to the agricultural machinery and equipment, though, classifies it as exempt. And so this the link that I provide there in the chat takes you to the PDF and that PDF has that list on page seven and eight that'll give you a again fairly comprehensive list the one thing that I will point out about that list though is um, while this informational guide is a um, binding document to the Nebraska Department of Revenue until amended you'll notice when they have this list of items that are sales tax exempt they put the word in there that says can and so just because they've got something listed on here that it should be sales tax exempt doesn't necessarily mean that when they do an audit and they start looking at a specific piece of equipment, they might try and, and go about it and say, well, we don't see the actual direct use of it. And even though it's listed as something exempt, you didn't meet the, the requirements under the definition of using it for that purpose. And so, again, it's a fairly comprehensive list, but just because it's on the list doesn't necessarily mean it's 100% guaranteed. You still got to be able to prove that you are using that for a direct use purpose. Awesome. Well, thank you, Austin, and thank you, everybody, for joining us today. A recording of this webinar will be posted at farm.unl.edu, where you can also register for other upcoming webinars. Make sure you're joining us next week for one of probably our most popular webinars of the year, and that will be the release of the preliminary results of the Nebraska Farm Real Estate Survey for the 2021 crop year. Again, next Thursday is the release of the preliminary results for the Nebraska Farm Real Estate Survey. As a reminder, you will be receiving a short survey uh, in your email, and we would really appreciate your feedback on today's webinar, as well as input on future sessions. Thank you again for joining us. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.